Portions of the following program may be pre-recorded. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. There is a judgment greater than Anything you've ever known It won't be long Your life will pass by as a vapor And you will stand Before the judgment seat of God And every secret deed and thought Every wrinkle, every spot Will be in view Before the one who knows all things The Lord of Lord and King of Kings You know the one you never knew While you have breath You have a choice to make in life Turn away from your sin And believe on the risen Christ Amen You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is the shelter From the coming storm All creation shakes At the mention of His name He has power over life and death Every knee will bow and tongue confess Heaven and earth will proclaim That Jesus Christ is Lord To the glory of the Father Will you bow, will you surrender To His majesty He can save you from the might Of all your sin the fight in which he stands in perfect victory while you have breath you have a choice to make in life yes turn away from your sin and believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is a shelter from the coming storm 
while you have breath you have a choice to make in life turn away from all your sin and believe on the risen Christ you can find peace in him From the judgment that's to come He is a shelter From the coming storm He's the only shelter From the coming storm Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. Reality is such, such a difficult thing. We each live in our own little bubble world. We establish our own reality. But in truth, beyond your reality lies another reality. The reality of God. Now, we can apprehend the reality of God intellectually. But we must be able to come into the presence of God, not just with our intellect, but with our heart and our soul. We must apprehend the realness of our God. The children of Israel were face to face with God through the journey in the wilderness as they made their way through the promised land. They all wanted to leave Egypt. They did not want to be slaves. They wanted to be free men and women in their own land. And that's what God promised them. He delivered them out of Egypt with incredible miracles. He destroyed Egypt. But on the journey to the promised land, they insisted on staying in their own slave mentality. Their God was, he was right before them. He was in the pillar of fire by night and the the cloud by day. He He was in the manna as it fell to the ground. He was in the tabernacle. He was with them. Moses spoke with God face to face. And yet they could not leave their slave mentality and understand that God truly was real and that he meant what he said, that his commands were to be obeyed. Time after time, they rebel against the Most High God. Time after time, they insist they must have it their way. And finally, the Lord opens the way for them to enter the promised land. And they say no, because there are giants there. They're afraid. Their reality is 
that of a slave mentality, afraid of their masters who will beat them if they don't obey. And so the Lord delivers the bad news. Okay, you don't want to go in? Go back into the wilderness and you'll spend the next 40 years wandering around in the desert. And I'll bring your children into the promised land, but all of the men of fighting age will die in that desert before I bring your family into the promised land. Now, immediately after this, the people rebel and they say, no, we'll go in. We can do it. They tried to do it on their own and they met the Amalekites and got destroyed. Then in this story, God speaks again. I'm going to read Numbers 15, verse 30. Anyone who sins defiantly, that's what sin is. According to the book of 1 John, sin is defiance, it is lawlessness, it is the decision to deny the reality of the living God and to be my own God and make my own choices and make my own decisions. And he tells them, anyone who sins defiantly, whether native-born or alien, whether you're an Egyptian who came out with the children of Israel, whoever it is, if you blaspheme the Lord, that person must be cut off from his people because he has despised the Lord's word and broken his commands. That person must surely be cut off and his guilt remains on him. Okay. Okay. But wait a minute. God is real. Verse 32, while the Israelites were in the desert, a man was found gathering wood on the Sabbath day. And of course, God had restored to them one day of the week for fellowship with himself. In the Garden, in the garden of Eden, they had seven days a week. Every evening, God came and fellowshiped in person with Adam and Eve. But they sinned against God. They gave the title deed of the land over to the devil, the dragon. And he became the master. A promise of deliverance was made. There would be enmity between the woman and the serpent. There would come a day when the serpent's head would be crushed. Now, after all of these years... They are given back one day a week of rest to be with the Lord. A day in which he would fellowship with them. A Sabbath day. They found a man on the Sabbath gathering wood to light a fire. They were not to do that. It says, those who found him gathering wood brought him to Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly. 
and they kept him in custody because it was not clear what should be done to him. The Lord said to Moses, the man must die. The whole assembly must stone him outside the camp. So the assembly took him outside the camp and stoned him to death. That's about as real as it gets, isn't it? That is reality. The man died of a horrendous death as his blood drained out into the earth. Why? Because he violated the direct command of the Lord and he was under law. Now we come to chapter 16 and I'm going to read portions and then share with you. This is one of the most terrifying stories in all of the scriptures. When you come face to face with the living God and you scorn him, you will die. Now, we don't die today. Many scorn the living God of heaven as though he were just an intellectual concept or a fairy tale. But we read in the book of Revelation that the day will come when the fairy tale's over and the judgment comes. Every person on the earth has a cup being kept track of in the heavenlies by the watchers. And when that cup is full and overflowing, you will die. Judgment will come upon you. If that does not terrify you, it's because you are living in a false reality. You're living in a reality that does not include the living God of heaven. And he's the one who establishes what is real and what is false. My reality is simply an expression of my own experience. Unless... I have allowed God to come into my experience. The Lord God of heaven is the one who rules. He is the one who creates reality, not me. My reality will be a false reality if it does not include the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So an atheist, a Buddhist, a Hindu, a Muslim, they all have created their religious system with their reality. But it's not true reality. If your reality is not centered around who Jesus is and what he is doing as he has an insurgent kingdom entering into this world, demanding 
total obedience, and total loyalty. If you don't recognize that, you're living in a false reality. Now, I'm going to share this story. I can't tell it nearly as well as it's written. I want to read portions and then stop and reflect. If you have a Bible, I urge you to get it and open to Numbers, the 16th chapter. Now, please understand, Numbers 16 will lead us tomorrow into Romans 1 and 2 and 3 that will lead us into the book of Revelation. We must come to terms with the reality that God is real. And he means what he says. And he's not permissive. He's not afraid to put a person to death. He will, in fact, do that. He's done it many times in the past. Men, women, children. Chapter 16, Korah, Dathan, Abiram, sons of Eleb, became insolent, meaning became arrogant, proud, disrespectful. They rose up against Moses. With them were 250 Israelite men, well-known community leaders who had been appointed members of the council. Do you remember who had a council set up? It wasn't God. It was Moses' father-in-law, a Moabite priest. Now these very men who have been appointed to the board of directors at the suggestion of Moses' father-in-law. They came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron and said to them, you've gone too far. The whole community is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourself above the Lord's assembly? Oh, do you hear what they're saying? We will govern ourselves. Moses, we don't need you standing between us and God. We will be in charge of this camp, and we will direct it as we see fit. We think you have failed by not bringing us into the promised land. We want to be in charge of this camp. We're as holy as you are. God can speak to us as much as he can speak to you. See, they're already in an alternate reality. God is no longer real for them. They are God. And they're looking at Moses and saying, he's no better than we are. He's no smarter than we are. We can manage this. Notice. When Moses hears this, 
he falls face down. He cries out to God. And then he says, Korah, in the morning the Lord will show you who belongs to him and who is holy, and he will have that person come near to him. That person he chooses, he will come near him. Oh, wait a minute. This is not a committee action to choose the pastor. This is not a a committee action to set the direction for our lives. Moses is saying, God will set the direction for this church, this assembly. God will set the direction for your life. You, Korah, and all of your followers are to do this. Take censers. Tomorrow, put fire and incense in them before the Lord. The man the Lord chooses will be the one who is holy. You Levites have gone too far. Now listen, you Levites. Isn't it enough for you that God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the Israelite community and brought you near himself to do the work of the Lord's tabernacle and to stand before the community and minister to them? He has brought you and all your fellow Levites near himself. Now you're trying to get the priesthood too? In other words, there's a power grab going on. How many times I've seen this happen in the church? Even a small church like the National Prayer Chapel. Oh, pastor, you've gone too far. What? There is an alternate reality that we have to deal with. And the alternate reality to us in America is that God is real. And he rules. And he judges. And he can become very, very angry. Most of you have heard most of your life, God is love. God is love. The book of 1 John tells us that God is love, but he's also just. God is just. And he doesn't judge as you and I judge. So Moses is on his face hearing, okay, Lord, what's your direction? Moses summons Dathan and Abiram, verse 12. But they say, we will not come. Isn't it enough that you have brought us up out of the land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the desert? Oh, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Do you see the reality isn't here? They're in a la-la land. They're now saying that Egypt was to them a land flowing with milk and honey where they were slaves. And now you also want to lord it over us. Moreover, you haven't brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey or given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you gouge out the eyes or will you make slaves of all these men? 
No, we will not come. You see, there is the reality of our own heart. And then there's the reality of God. And God is the one who has the final say on what is real and what is false. So we can set ourselves up and we can judge and we can criticize. We can do all kinds of of shows before men and prove that we're somebody. We can argue, we can fuss and fight. But in the end, only the reality of God will matter. I put on the on the chat line today, don't go after the lusts of your own hearts and eyes. The scriptures say, don't prostitute yourself by going after the lust of your own hearts and eyes. In other words, don't let your own heart and your own eyes and the lust of your spirit, don't let those things establish your reality. It is a false reality. The one who can take your physical life and can cast you into hell or take you to heaven. He's the one who is real. Your boss at work is not the one who's real. Your wife, your husband, your children, they're not the ones who are real. By real, I mean never goes away, never changes, stays the same, has all the authority and power. You see, I'm not real. I'm finite. It's God who is infinite. I'm just flesh. And Moses is saying, look, who am I that you're fighting against me? You're not fighting against me. You're fighting against God. Moses became very angry, and that's unusual for Moses because the scriptures tell us that Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. But he he did get angry with them, and he said, Lord God, don't accept our offerings. I haven't done anything to these people. I have not cheated them. I've not stolen from them. Of course, when people rise up against a pastor or they rise up against God, their mouths are full of accusations and names. We are so determined to let the lust of our own hearts and eyes rule over us and create for us our own reality. And then when it comes crashing down as surely as it will when God touches it. We suddenly see ourselves naked before God like Adam and Eve after they sinned. They were ashamed because they suddenly saw their nakedness. Oh, my brother, my sister, I pray that you and I will see our nakedness before a holy God 
and see that the leaves that we've pinned together are not lasting and will not cover our shame and our nakedness, that we need the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to clothe us. Not in a make-believe way. Not in a not in an imputed grace way, not in a declared righteousness way. We need to be truly clothed by Jesus Christ. We need to be truly washed by his blood and the old man of sin removed from our hearts. We have to come to terms with reality as it is, not as we want it to be. So Moses directs the 250 self-important leaders of the congregation to put fire in his censer, incense, and stand at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Separate yourself from this assembly so I can put an end to them once and for all. Do you understand? When God gets angry with a person because of their rebellion, they are in grave danger. They could die. Moses and Aaron fall face down and they cry out, O God, God of the spirits of all mankind, will you be angry with the entire assembly when only one man sins? God must be the God of the spirit that is within us. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to the assembly, move away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Moses got up and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. He warned the assembly, move back from the tents of those wicked men. Do not touch anything belonging to them, or you will be swept away because of all of their sins. What was their sin? Pride. Arrogance. Insolence toward God. As expressed toward Moses. And Moses says, Who am I that you're angry with me? Don't be angry with me. Everyone began to move away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And these three men, with their wives and their grown sons, and it says also their little ones, their children and the little ones, they all came to the entrance and they stood in front like they're waiting for a photograph to be taken. And they see the people moving away from them. They see, they see that people are moving away from them. 
and they're laughing. And Moses said, This is how you will know that the Lord has sent me to do all these things, that it was not my idea. See, please, I want you to grab a hold of this. Reality is not based on a human person's idea. Reality is based on the infinite God of justice who's very direct with us in the scriptures and he expresses for us what he wants us to do and what he wants us to be. And he's very clear with us about what real reality looks like. I urge you, just sit and read carefully the entire book of Revelation. I read it almost every day. In that book, all human pride is stripped away, and you begin to see the reality of the living God of heaven and what he has planned to bring about the final resolution of the conflict between Satan and himself. Satan became insolent toward God, arrogant, proud, hard, judging, complaining to God about who he was. And Satan led the rebellion, accusing God of being unfair, unjust, unloving, saying, God, you and I are just alike. We feel the same things, we do the same things. No, they don't. That was the devil's reality, not God's reality. Notice what happens. If the Lord brings about something totally new, this is Numbers 16, verse 30. If the Lord brings about something totally new and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them with everything that belongs to them and they go down alive into the grave, then you will know that these men have treated the Lord with contempt or with disdain, with judgment, with criticism, with bitterness. As soon as he finished saying all of this, the ground under them split apart, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them with their households and all Korah's men, and all their possessions. And they went down alive into the grave with everything they owned. The earth closed over them, and they perished and were gone from the community. At their cries, all the Israelites around them fled, shouting, The earth is going to swallow us too.
You know, I want you to see. Even their children went down into that grave. They stood there with their wives, their children, their little ones. And they all went down into that grave. That's stunning. We serve a God who is all-powerful. Now you might ask the question, the children who went down into the grave, will they be saved? Will they be in heaven? Did they go to heaven when they died? I don't know. What I can tell you is that God judged the children and sent them into the grave just like he did the others. We're very sentimental people. And yet I recognize that when a child is born, he is born with the same evil nature that every other person is born with. Now, why this is so vital to understand is that if you leave your child to its own desires, it will go after the lust of his own heart and eyes. If a child, a baby, so cute, but that baby will soon begin to exercise very clearly, as one mother said to me, I can see, Pastor, that my baby has a very selfish streak in him. He demands what he wants when he wants it, and if he doesn't get it, he begins to wail. She said, my child wants the toy it wants, and if it doesn't get it, it begins to wail. Well, that child, if left alone, to grow and mature, as I've seen many children who were never disciplined. They grow up. They become teenagers. They become adults. Now, please hear me. Sometime in that baby's life, as he grows into being a child and a teenager, an adult, somewhere that child is going to have to become converted. They're going to have to be born again if they're going to enter into the kingdom of God. The natural inclination of that child will be to grow and refine its ability to manipulate and demand and force with anger, with cunning. That child is going to grow into something very unlike Jesus because he has a wicked carnal nature in his very core. He was created after the likeness of Adam. And Eve, 
Now, it's the parent's job with love and with kindness to bring that child to a place of consciousness and awareness that they would totally give their life over to Jesus Christ and never walk in the wickedness of this world. I've known children like that. And from the very beginning, they have, because of the call of the God of heaven on their hearts, sometimes irregardless of the parents, they've always wanted to do what was right. But other children, they have been incredibly disobedient and have required stern discipline. That prideful heart has to be changed into a heart for Jesus Christ. These children have been trained in number 16 to be wicked, following the path of their mother and their father. And as a result, they all are taken down and the earth swallows them. I don't know how you feel about this, but I can tell you now. This is a reality we have to face. We're told in Romans, the sixth chapter, the last verse, the wages of sin are death. It doesn't say the wages of sin for a grandpa are death. Or the wages of sin for a middle-aged man, that's death. No, it's death for all human people who sin against the Most High. We have a very short probationary time on this earth to come to terms with the reality of the devil and the reality of Jesus Christ and to see the dramatic difference between them. He is not, Jesus is not permissive. He is merciful. He is kind. He is slow to anger. But he calls every human person to repent. I remember when I was just a little boy, I stole some candy from my mother. And when she asked, I admitted that I had stolen the candy. And then she gently took me by the hand, just a little boy. And she said, Raymond, you have sinned against God. And because you have sinned, I'm going to have to teach you with a punishment that you may not sin against God. And she put me over her knee and she gave me a very sound spanking. And it hurt and I cried. And then she sent me to my room. And in my room, I finally got down on my knees and confessed that I had sinned against Jesus. For I knew what the scriptures taught about stealing 
I'd been well taught in my family. You do not steal from anyone. That was the beginning, along with many other trainings that I received as a child that allowed me, when I became an adult, to humble my heart before God's reality. God is real. He is reality. There is no reality outside of God. He is the infinite one. And he is just. Now suddenly, in verse 35, fire comes out from the Lord and consumes the 250 men who were offering the incense, who were in rebellion. These were the members of the board of directors for the children of Israel. They suddenly got all burned because they thought they were in charge, not God. They were insolent against the Most High. If you're a member of a church where you are a member of the vestry or the board, you'd best be very humble before Almighty God and not think that you can rise up and tell God how he has to run that church. The next day, all night, I'm sure they talked about it. A lot of pillow talk going on that night. Verse 41, the next day, the whole Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. They said, you have killed the Lord's people. They don't understand. It was not Moses and Aaron who killed the Lord's people. It was the Lord who killed those in rebellion. They're they're totally out of touch with reality. The assembly had gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. And Moses and Aaron turned toward the tent of meeting. And suddenly the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord appeared. Be very careful about wanting the glory of God to rest in your church. I've heard these foolish preachers say, oh, the glory of God is here. If the glory of God is here, the judgment of God is here. Remember Ananias and Sapphira. One pastor, he said, if the glory of God came into the church, the American church today, more than half of the church would die like Ananias and Sapphira did. Because they have lied about the Lord and they have cheated the Lord of the tithes and the offerings and they're in rebellion, and they would die if the glory of God came. It is God's mercy that he does not send his glory into the American church. Moses and Aaron went to the front of the tent of meeting, and the Lord Lord said to them, Get away from this assembly so I can put an end to this at once. And they just fell down on their faces before God. began to pray. And Moses said to Aaron, take your censer, 
put incense in it, that is the prayers of God's people, along with fire from the altar and hurry to the assembly to make atonement for them. Wrath has come out from the Lord. We're going to speak about what the wrath of God looks like tomorrow. But wrath is not something that's passive. Wrath is active. It destroys. It's real. You don't want the wrath of God against you because you have followed the lust of your own hearts and your own eyes. You don't want the wrath of God against you. The wrath of God is on some of you, and in his mercy you are still alive. He's giving you a chance to repent for your sin and to get right with him. Wrath has come out from the Lord. The plague has started. So Aaron did as Moses said and ran into the midst of the assembly. The plague had already started among the people. But Aaron offered the incense and made atonement for them. He stood between the living and the dead, and the plague stopped. But 14,700 people died from the plague. In addition to those who had died because of Korah, and the rebellion. The plague has stopped. Oh, my heart cries out to know the reality of the living God, to not be deceived by any of the things I see or hear in this world. For the only voice that matters to me is the voice of the Holy Spirit, the voice of Jesus, the the voice of our Father who is in heaven. I pray that his will would be done on the earth as it is done in heaven. I pray that his will is done in this radio broadcast, even as his will is done in heaven. I want the reality of God to be accomplished in his mercy and in his grace. And for the lost and the dying out there, I want the mercy of God to flow into their hearts and lives with an understanding of the reality of God and that they will face a judgment if they do not repent for their sin and turn aside. You do not help a person by saying to them, Did you know God loves you? They'll say, So what? A lot of people love me. No, people today need to hear very clearly, The wrath of God is upon you because you deny His reality. And the only way you can be saved from that destruction is by coming into the reality of the blood of Jesus Christ and repenting for your sin and your arrogance against him, your insolence against him. Look, let me put it just very plainly to you. I'm nothing. 
Jesus is everything. Can I put it to you very straight? You're nothing. You're flesh and blood. In one moment, you can be executed by the wrath of God because you think you can live outside of his mercy and outside of his righteousness, outside of his reality. But you cannot. God is real. Well, we're out of time for today's broadcast. I want to thank each of you who has so graciously, so lovingly donated for this gospel work. I know there are many places that you could give your money, but you've chosen at the call of the Holy Spirit to post your money here. And I have the good news of letting you know that the radio bill for the month of of January is paid. Thank you. I love you, my brother, my sister. I'd love to hear from you. You can write to me at Pastor Ray Greenley. That's G-R-E-E-N-L-E-Y. National Prayer Chapel. Post Office Box 2346. Woodbridge, Virginia. 22195 or go to our webpage nationalprayerchapel.com one word nationalprayerchapel.com God bless you my brother and my sister join me tomorrow we're going to go to Romans the first chapter read it ahead of time God bless you I love you Savior through Jesus Christ